You can open up to Exodus chapter 17. We'll be in both 17 and 18 as we uh, approach what is really kind of a natural dividing line here in the book of Exodus. We've been in this since the first of the year. Uh, We've been pressing on and moving on, seeing some amazing things, incredible uh, events, maybe some of the most well-known in all of Scripture. And this morning we'll finish out these two chapters before we take a break for the, uh, the series that the elders will be leading uh, over the next few weeks and, and probably take a break for the rest of the summer and pick this back up uh, in the fall. So just a preview of coming attractions, that's what we'll be doing. But this is an interesting text uh, because honestly, it kind of comes out of nowhere. It's a, little bit, uh, it's a little bit odd, it's a little bit different, it's not really anything you would expect uh, based off of what we've been reading but it's an important one because it kind of conveys the, 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 the place where Israel is at at this point and how they're making this transition from being a, a, a slaved, enslaved people that are told what to do at all times to now these people that are free, that are figuring out how in the world do we do this our own. And not, not to mention how do we do this our own, but now that we're enslaved, that also means that we don't have an army to fight for us yet. So how do we fight battles? How do we win battles? How do we do all this? And so this morning, we're going to look at how Moses tackles that problem, the administration of running a nation, and what in the world that has to do with us today. So there used to be a TV show that I would, uh, that I would watch that I really enjoyed. You guys, uh, I never saw it weekly. I never followed it enough to, to, to follow the, the story arc of the characters, but I saw it enough to know that I identified with uh, a lot of it. Did any of you guys ever watch The Wonder Years? Show of hands, anybody watch The Wonder Years? All right, good. So there's plenty of you here. I love that show. It's hard to find now. I think at one point it was on Netflix, and I think now it's on Hulu. I, it, I don't know where it is now, but it's, th- there was something about it when it was on Netflix. It was missing something that was powerfully important to that show. It was missing the opening credits, the opening title scene. For whatever reason, I I don't know how this works with with Netflix, but they didn't have the opening title, and the familiar sounds of Joe Cocker were not there. All it had was kind of an instrumental background playing as the opening credit ran. So even though it was just a song, that song really set the tone for the show. That song uh, really kind of set it all up, and it felt kind of empty without this song to kind of kick off the show. There you go. You guys see that song? And um, Hey guys, can you play the music for that song back here? It felt kind of empty without that song kind of kicking off the show. And it's such a great song. And it's so soulful that it connects as soon as you hear it. You guys know that song. And it's all about getting by with a little help from your friends. And the refrain over and over that you hear is that I get by with a little help. And this morning, we're going to see that Moses would have heartily sung along with Joe Cocker on that song and how much he needs his friends to get by. He learns that's the only way that he can get by. So let's look in chapter 17. Chapter 17, and let's... uh, Let's remember where we're at. Moses has led the Israel through the Red Sea, and then he's listened to them grumble because they don't have food or water. We've seen this over the last couple of weeks, and he saw God miraculously. We saw how God miraculously provided for them, not once, but twice with manna, with water in different places. We saw last week how Moses struck the rock and water would pour out, and that brings us to this story that feels a bit out of place if you're following the storyline, but one that Moses clearly sees as important for us. So Exodus chapter 17, verse 8. Then Amalek 
came and fought with Israel at, at Rephidim, where they were at, where they were camped before. Where, this is the same place that Moses had struck the rock. And so Moses said to Joshua, Come for us, men, and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. Remember we talked about this staff last week. This staff has represented two things. Salvation for God's people, judgment for God's enemies. And here the staff will do the same again. So Joshua did as Moses told him. He fought with Amalek while Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. Now this may not feel like a natural flow to our story, but it's a natural flow to the events of what would have happened and what Israel would have been facing. I mean, think about this. You can't take hundreds of thousands of people, there's debate over how many it is, but at the very least it was hundreds of thousands of people. You can't take them out of slavery, drive them across the Sinai Peninsula in in some way heading for something. You can't do that without making a couple of people mad. Thousands of people, animals, carts, wagons. You're going to draw some attention with all those people trekking through. And they drew some attention. They caught the attention of someone that wasn't content to just let them pass right on through. That wasn't content for them to set up shop, drink this water, and do what they were doing. Amalek was going to show them that this was his turf. And they had no business showing up there. And apparently Amalek and his, and his, uh, and his army can put up a pretty good fight. Except for one thing. Moses' arms getting in the way. That's it. Moses' arms getting away. Let's look at verse 11. Whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. And whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands grew weary, so they took a stone and they put it under him. And he sat on it, while Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side. So his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this as a memorial in the book and recite it in the ears of Joshua, that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under the heaven. And Moses built an altar and called the name of it, The Lord is my banner, saying, A hand upon the throne of the Lord. The Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. So here's another story that's really a lot like the plagues and the way it functions. Moses is at the center. Moses is a key figure. But Moses is not the one that actually does anything. It's God that does it all. Moses is over and over seen as the central part or a big part of God's messaging. He's the one that the messages flow through. But he's never the one that actually does much of anything. It's always God. I want everybody to try something for me. This is going to be a little bit different for us. I want everybody to try this. Everybody, hold your hands up high, both hands. Hold them up. Keep them up there. As long as you can keep keep them up there. Hold them up. Is it getting hard yet? It's getting annoying anyway, right? So just keep them up there, right? It's crazy how quickly that gets hard. It only takes a few seconds for that to get annoying. Now keep them up. Some of you already put them down. Keep them up. You got to keep them up. Now, I want you to imagine that you standing in that position was the only thing that was stopping your loved one who was in a battle down in front of you from winning or losing. Now, does that give you a little more like encouragement to keep them up? Gives you a little more motivation, right? Now, how many of you think you could do that for the whole sermon? 
just for the sermon. Yeah, so some of you, Justin, yeah, you, feel, you feeling good about yourself? All right, we'll see. Just keep them up the whole time I'm preaching. No, I'm just kidding. Don't do that. All right, you can put them down. Just that little bit, that little experiment. You are, at some point, you got a little bit tired. If I had you do that for the whole sermon, there's some of you that would not do it. I don't care what I put in front of you. If I said, there's $100, if you can do that for the rest of my sermon, some of you just would not be able to complete it. Some of you just would not be able to do it. Now, there's others of you that you would do that. You would be able to make it. But if I said, make it until sunset tonight, you're going to have a problem. I don't care how good you are, how stout you are, you're going to have a problem. Now, maybe you could get there. But now if you're in your 80s like Moses was, or maybe older, you're really going to have a problem with that. And this is the predicament that Moses found himself in. He knew his hands could not stay up, but he knew that the battle was dependent upon his hands staying up. So what does he do? He realizes he can't keep it up. He realizes he needs help. And so do all the folks around him. This isn't just a matter of Moses realizing, I can't do all of this. The guys around him realize, like, oh, his hands are going down. Oh, there goes Amalek. He's advancing. we got to do something about this. His hands go up. Oh, there goes Israel. They're, they're advancing now. And so his, his hands are up. The staff is up. He's holding the staff. That's the other thing. It's not just like holding your hands up. He's got a stick in his hands, too. He's got that up there. He's, he's holding up there. And they realize that they have to support him and keep his arms up. It's a crazy story. But there's a handful of details about this thing that are important that before we move on to the next chapter, we need to see that will teach us a lot this morning. First, you need to see that Moses is essential. But not essential like a great warrior in battle was. Not essential, you know, like like Samson was in battle. Not not essential like, like David was before Goliath. Not essential like a a great warrior that you put forward and you say, you go and fight for us. Moses doesn't even fight in the battle. This is not Braveheart. This is not Gladiator. This is not the great warrior going forward. This is not Moses the great warrior. This is Moses the old guy sitting in a chair holding his hands up. Moses is essential though. After all, it's his arms that have to stay up holding the staff. The second thing that you need to see here is that Moses' friends are essential. Without them, Moses' hands don't stay up. No arms, no victory. No raised arms, no victory either. Moses was fully dependent upon those around him to carry the load when he could not. Together, they were unstoppable. Apart, they were easily beatable. There's a third thing that you need to see here. None of them actually did anything that won the battle for them. Joshua's on one side, Hur is on the other side, Moses is in the middle, and they're watching the troops do battle. Now Joshua is their commander, but he's just looking out there, watching them do battle. They're not fighting, their strength is irrelevant, it does not matter how strong they are, their might is not important. This is not a situation where we would be in in awe of Moses' great leadership, of Joshua's uh, military strategy, of Hur's brute strength and agility. None of those things are things that we can brag about as we read this. We can't even marvel at their courage. They're standing up on a hill, sitting on a rock, watching these guys fighting. They're far removed from the battle. 
You can't even look at that. They're just sitting there with an old guy holding his arms up. But in God's kingdom, something as insignificant as holding an old guy's arms up is what wins the battle. There is no insignificant job in the kingdom of God. They're all part of holding up someone else's arms. Cleaning a bathroom, teaching a children's class, moving chairs, painting walls, serving soup, doing laundry and serving your family, changing diapers, maybe even literally hanging out with an old guy at a nursing home. Every time you serve, every single time you serve, you are helping someone hold their hands up just a little bit longer and advance God's kingdom just a little bit further. There is no job too small. Friend, this morning you may be weary like Moses. Or you may be weary like Moses' friends were. But my encouragement to you this morning are the same ones that Paul gives to the Galatians. He says, do not let us grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Don't grow weary. Press on. Now, we'll talk here in just a minute in chapter 18. Burnout is a very real thing. Being tired and being exhausted is a very real thing. But hear me this morning. Whatever it is that has worn you out this morning, and listen, it's the end of May. There's no shortage of things right now that you could be worn out from. The end of the school year. I know there's a lot, of, a lot of moms and dads that are tired of packing lunches and tired of getting up and sending kids off to school and tired of doing all the stuff that comes with the end of the school year and everything that's going on right now. I know there's a lot of school teachers that are tired, just tired. There's a lot of school teachers that are just tired. I know that there's a lot of students that are pretty tired too, that are just ready to be done, not taking any more tests. They're just ready to be done. My encouragement to you is do not grow weary in doing good. Don't let Satan whisper lies into your ear that say your work doesn't matter. He knows that one diaper changed, one friendly handshake in the lobby to a visitor, one cup of coffee brewed to show kindness as someone comes, as someone comes in the door to our church. One card written that says, hey, just want to let you know I'm thinking about you and I'm praying for you. One invitation to go get coffee at the creek. One small little act like that tears down the kingdom of darkness and lets the light shine through for the kingdom of God. Don't grow weary. Press on. But I do want to look at the other side of that coin this morning with Moses. 
So let's look in chapter 18 and see what the next story is. Moses and the people have won the battle. They have prevailed against Amalek, and now they've been out of Egypt for a while. And there's certain things that you forget about when you're reading this story because everything seems to be like win after win, good thing after good thing. You forget when you have that many people that are advancing across the desert, you forget that there's other things that have to happen. I mean, after all, this is a bunch of slaves that are now free. But they are not a bunch of happy merry men running, running around the desert. Any family that's been on a road trip, you guys are getting ready to start taking vacations and that kind of stuff. Any family that's been on a road trip will tell you there's got to be some rules laid down before you go on this road trip or you're going to have anarchy in about three exits down the interstate, right? You've got to be able to lay down the rules and say, this is how things are going to go. And no, we're not stopping for gas, to use the bathroom, to get any food. We're not doing any of that until we at least hit the Florida line, right? That's how you have to like lay that out whenever you get started. You have to lay down the rules. Well, Moses is on an epic road trip right now with a whole lot of people. And Moses is trying to figure out How do you lay down the rules? And even if you lay down the rules, how do you enforce the rules with all these people? There's no organized army. There's no police force. There's no no good system created. Moses has to figure this out on his own, on the fly. He didn't have the option of grounding his kids from the iPad. He didn't have the option of doing anything like that. Like He had to figure out something on the fly as he was going through this. And that's when Moses' father-in-law, Jethro, enters the picture. He comes back from Midian. He's the priest in Midian. You remember we saw him all the way back before Moses goes through all this stuff. He's he's, he's Moses' father-in-law. And now that Moses and the people of Israel are back at, uh, at Mount Sinai, the same place where he ran into the burning bush, the same, that, that same place where Moses was at before, he sits with Moses and, he tells, and then Moses tells him of all the great things that have happened since he last saw him. You know, when Moses last saw him, he was leaving Jethro to go and free the people of Israel. And then we saw all the drama that unfolded there, and Moses is conveying all that. He's like, here's what happened. Here's, first it was this plague, and then it was this plague, and then, oh, you should have seen this one. Man, it stunk on this plague. And then they did this plague, and he, he, he goes through all that stuff, and Jethro's blown away. He's like, that's amazing. Your God is amazing. And and right there, Jethro worships God. And then Jethro does the most father-in-law thing you could possibly do. He sees something that Moses is doing that he doesn't like, and he starts to ask questions. Exodus chapter 18, verse 13. The next day, Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stood around Moses from morning till evening, and when Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, what is, this, what is this that you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone? And all the people stand around you from morning till evening. And Moses said to his father-in-law, Because the people come to me and inquire of God. When they have a dispute, they come to me, and I decide between one person and another. And I make them know the statutes of God and his laws. So when a nation up and leaves... There's not a lot of men with judicial training and law degrees Moses can lean on. So what happens? Moses does it all. 
He does what every single student in a group project, every single A student in a group project does. He does all the work. He says, you know what, I'm going to make sure that this ends up being a good thing. And he says, I'll do it. I'll just do it all. He takes it all upon himself. And I like the way Moses answers because it's effectively the one that I give uh, all the time for, for different things. He, his father-in-law says, Moses, why are you doing this? And effectively what Moses says is because it needs to be done. That's why I'm doing it, because they're here and it needs to be done. If it didn't need to be done, I wouldn't do it, but it does. So I'm here and I'll step in and I'll do it. Well, that was pretty much what Jethro expected him to say. And then Jethro goes full father-in-law here. So verse 17, Moses' father-in-law said to him, what you're doing is not good. You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out, for the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. Now obey my voice. I will give you advice, and God be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God. And you shall warn them about the statutes and the laws and make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. Moreover, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe, and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. And let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you, but any small matter they shall decide themselves. So it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this, God will direct you. You will be able to endure. And all the people, and all this, people also will go to their place in peace. So Jethro sees something his son-in-law is doing. He sees something he's doing wrong, and he immediately decides he wants to critique Moses and say, let me tell you, son, how you got it all wrong, right? He goes and he says, here's all the things that you should be doing in an entirely different way than what you're doing them. I don't know. This story's not written that, that Jethro has a condescending tone, but I just hear that in my head whenever I read this, that, that Jethro's like, come on. This is really the guy that married my daughter. You can do better than this. And maybe that's just somewhere in my head. I don't know. But I just hear that kind of tone. But his advice that he gives Moses, welcomed or not, asked for or not, is needed advice, and it's good advice. Moses would never have been able to hold out under the burden of hearing every case and every dispute among the people of Israel. It would crush him. It would be a burnout of the leader of God's people in a matter of weeks. Moses needed to build some systems that would protect him and that would empower others. He needed to put other men in places of leadership that would take some of the burden off of him. So Moses hears Jethro's advice and then decides he'll implement it. He hears the advice and he says, all right, let's do it. And what was Jethro's advice? Moses, you can't do it all your own. You need a little help from your friends. Just like the others held up your arms so that you could win the battle before, so these men in this system, the system will hold up your arms. Moses had to admit that he couldn't do it all. Moses had to admit that he wasn't strong enough to endure the full burden. Mo Moses had to admit that there's others that he could put in place of leadership and service. And that would be the best thing not only for him, but for Israel. For this, 
for, for us this morning, we need to hear Jethro's advice. You can't do it all. I don't know what it is that all you're trying to do, but you can't do all of it. God has placed limits on you, and those limits are intentional. God doesn't place limits on you in order to, to somehow stop your productivity. He places limits on you to show you that your productivity is not the most important thing for you. He puts limits on you that says you don't get to do everything you want to do because you're not God. You don't get to do everything on your list that you've got to do because I'm the only one that gets to check off everything on my list. You can't do it all. Those limits are intended to point you to God. Those limits are intended to make you feel smaller. And Moses is coming face to face with his limits. You will get tired. You will have moments when you will feel burnt out. You will have times when you will feel overwhelmed. And hear me, that's okay. I talk to people sometimes who are like, man, I just feel like I'm so overcome. I've got all these things to do. I don't know how I'm going to do all these things. And, and you start freaking out like that means there's something wrong with you. Whenever you get to that place where you're like, I can't get all this done. What am I doing wrong? What do I need to do to change my system to be more efficient? And really, maybe the only thing that you need to do is recognize that you just can't get it all done. There's not something wrong with you. That's exactly the way you're designed, is with limits. And the question is, what do you do when you feel that? When you feel those limits, when you feel that burnout, when you feel that fatigue and that stress set in, do you press in? Do you press on? Do you put your head down and just push through? There's a place for that. But if that's your answer every time, you're going to run into a buzzsaw and you're going to fall apart. So do you press in and press on or do you lean on your friends for help? Do you back off and do you rest for a bit? I've said it again and I'll say it before, but one of my favorite quotes from D.A. Carson is sometimes the most godly thing you can do is take a nap. Not because you're lazy, but because in it you are confessing, God, I can't do it all. And you've made me not to be able to do it all. That's how you've created me. So I'm just going to lay down. I'm going to embrace my weakness. And I'm going to lean on you because you're the one that can be leaned on. For others, you've been serving in ministry and you need to delegate. You need to ask others to help you. You need to find others that can support you and help you and make your life easier. Jethro's instructions to Moses weren't to walk away and stop doing what he is doing, but to walk into community. His instructions weren't to, to stop and to turn your back on the people. His instructions were to move into the people and let them support you and let them love you and let them care for you, even when you don't have the ability to do that for yourself. And so it is with us. We get by with a little help from our friends. So I'll tell you what that's going to look like for me over the next couple of weeks, the next five to six weeks. You're not going to see me. This is built into our pastoral structure for a sabbatical for me. The elders are gracious to grant me this sabbatical. And starting next week, the elders and the staff will be up here and they will be preaching. 
And they will be doing the day-to-day ministry, the, the, the staff and the elders to be doing the day-to-day ministry around here. They're going to they're gonna be doing exactly what we've seen here in chapter 17 and 18. I would never be pretentious enough to compare myself to Moses, so don't think that's what I'm do, doing. But I can certainly identify with the fact I can certainly identify with the fact that, like Moses, I cannot do it all. Given the opportunity, I might try, but I cannot. And so the elders have graciously stepped in and said they would like for me to rest. There's a lot of different ways that pastors can do sabbaticals. Uh, some churches don't give pastors sabbaticals, and so I am tremendously thankful for that. There's a lot of different ways you can do sabbaticals. Sometimes it's research that you can go and, and study something you've been wanting to study. Sometimes it's, 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 it's a handful of different things, but the elders have been explicit to me that the purpose for this is for rest in the wake of the, the building and everything that we've gone through here and a chance just to reconnect with, uh, with my family and, frankly, reconnect with God as well. I can't wait to hear their stories. I can't wait for them to teach you in the coming weeks. I can't wait for you to feel how they are both lifting up my arms the way that Moses's were, and in the same way when they serve you, lifting up your arms as well. These are men that I have leaned on tremendously over the last couple of years. They have been gracious to me. It's wonderful that I can read a text like this and I can say, man, I wonder what that would be, not say, I wonder what that would be like, but I can instead say, man, I'm so glad that I have that support system. So I hope you guys will be here to hear them as they share and as they serve. But let me ask about you. Who's holding up your hands this morning? Who's holding up your hands and helping you when you can't do it all? Husband, are you holding up your, 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 your wife's arms and saying, I'm here to support you? Wife, are you holding up your husband's arms and saying, I'm here to support you? Or are you more of the ones that are making them feel burnt out and worn out? Kids, I could ask the same of you for your parents. Parents, I could ask the same of you for your kids. How do you view your role as a parent? Is your role as a parent to beat your kids into, down into submission? Or is it to hold their arms up? And help them to succeed. I could go on and on and on and ask this question. But let me ask this question. Who is holding up your hands? And whose hands are you holding up? That's a question that you should spend some time on on the next week or two. Those two questions. And if your answer is, I've got nobody holding up my my hands here. Nobody's holding up my arms. Then you've got some work to do. And if you're like, well, that's the whole problem. I don't have the, the ability to do this work. When I say you've got some work to do, the work you've got to do is to give away some work by asking for some help. To find people that can pray with you, that can support you, that you can call, that you can talk to, that you can go to lunch with, that you can be around, and they can say, we got you. It'll be all right. It'll be okay. And if you're not holding someone else's hands up, If you're not supporting someone, helping somebody make it to the end of the day, the end of the week, the end of the school year, through a tough time, if you're not doing that, you need to be actively looking for that. That is your task as a Christian, to care for one another. If I were to go to the New Testament and read all the passages that give commands of what you are to do to one another and how you are to care for one another, we'd be here all afternoon. That is your job 
as a Christian is to care for one another, to love one another, to be there for one another. You say, well, I don't have those connections. I don't know how to make those connections. We just talked about two front porch communities. Those front porch communities exist for that purpose, to help you make connections with people so that they can hold your arms up and so that you can know whenever they're worn out and you can say, you know what, we need to help hold their arms up right now. That's what front porch community is all about. And so this morning, my challenge to you is don't get by with a little bit of nose to the grindstone on your own, but get by with a little help from your friends. That's two good questions. And I'll close by rejoicing by the fact that ultimately all of this, just like with Moses in the battle, ultimately all of this is in God's power to hold up our hands, to sustain us, to save us. That we lean fully on Him, just as Moses had to lean on God to win that battle, just as even as, as Joshua and her on the other side of Moses held up Moses' arms and that staff, they were not winning the battle themselves. It was God that was winning that battle for them. And so it is with us this morning. We place all of our trust, all of our hope, all of our need for rest and assurance and all of those things we place on Christ and we say, Christ, ultimately it is you that sustains us in everything. It is his power. So this morning I challenge you to to serve, to care for others, to serve others. And in doing so, Every little thing you do, every kid you check in at that check-in counter, every time that you, 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 you sweep a floor, every time that you show up at Life Outreach Center and fold clothes, every time that you go to Renovatus and you, you, you help them out on the farm, any time that you do that stuff, you are helping to build the kingdom of God because you are helping the battle to advance and you are holding someone's arms up. So this morning, I would encourage you, press on, don't give up, but make sure that you have others around you that are helping you in the midst of the battle. Will you pray with me? Father, this morning, we thank you for your graciousness to us. Father, we thank you that you have loved us enough to place us in community, that you have loved us enough not to... Not to to thrust us out on our own with an individual faith that says, good luck, I hope you make it. But instead, you have placed us with a faith that is by design built in and through community. So Father, may we be true to that part of our faith. May we seek out community. May we seek out those that we can serve. May we seek out those that we can hold their arms up. And Father, may, may we be humble enough to look to those that are around us and to say, I need help. I can't hold my arms up anymore. I'm tired. Ain't nobody winning battles with me right now. Father, may we be courageous enough to help others and may we be humble enough to receive that help. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.